In the world of recruiting, some people have seen it all. They build recruiting teams from the ground up, hired hundreds of people in the best companies in the world, develop their expertise year after year. I'm Robin Choi, and I'm on a mission to collect their learnings. These are their stories. Hey everybody, today I'm with Austin Nelson and we'll be talking about how to run an ATS audit. Uh, very glad to have you here, Austin. We've known each other for a few years now, so very happy to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Robin. Yes, I know our paths have crossed via the LinkedIn world. Yeah, exactly. Which is crazy. Anyway, and one interesting thing that came during our discussions, our conversations, is that you like to organize a consulting mission around how to run an ATS audit. And that's a problem that we hear all the time from our clients, like uh, ATSs are a mess. There is no label whatsoever. The data is completely unstructured. So people realize their ATS should be a gold mine, but it's more like mm -hmm. the opposite. Uh, so uh, today we'll be discussing about how to run an ATS audit and try to compress that consulting mission into actionable advice and tips and a recipe of 30 minutes. So bear with us and we'll yeah. be going through the entire process that Austin runs with uh, with his clients. Austin, maybe for people that don't know you yet, can you introduce yourself? Uh, tell us a bit more about yourself and your background. Yeah, thanks so much. I am Austin Nelson. I am now in the world of recruiting operations. I started my career in higher education and then jumped into consulting and then jumped into tech recruiting. And now I'm back into consulting, which is fun. But Robin and I connected on LinkedIn. I helped hire Sweet out a few times and everything is full circle. It's really cool to see the power of a network. But I run a podcast as well called Ask Ozzy, which is kind of people writing questions about anything. So it can be career advice, life advice, ATS, process advice. But yeah, I have worked with a variety of clients, mainly in the Series A space, and then have worked for large companies. I would say I've probably done 10 plus ATS, either implementations or I like to call them refreshes. Because often I see clients, maybe they finally hire a head of talent or maybe that founding recruiter if you're at the Series A stage and the recruiter's like, adopted this applicant tracking system and it's like what is happening here or i see the opposite where it's like someone implements an ats system on a team and then they grow a lot to a bigger team and then it's like hey we need to take a breath and like figure this out before we continue hiring against it so those are the two instances i've experienced mainly i'm working with Greenhouse Applicant Tracking System or Lever Applicant Tracking System. I do have some experience with some of the other ones, such as Smart Recruiter, Bullhorn, as well as a few others. So that's a little bit about me. I love people. I love figuring out things. I'm very curious and I could talk for days. <laughs> <laughs> Legit. How do you explain that all ATSs are such a mess? Like nobody's proud uh, of their ATS. It's probably the same in sales CRMs. Nobody's happy and proud about their HubSpot or their Salesforce. But it seems to be even more the case with ATSs. Would you agree with me? Do you think there is a specific problem with ATS? And where does this problem come from? Yeah, I think a big thing is just 
enablement is what I've seen a lot. I had a person reach out. My headline on LinkedIn at one point was like, lover of lever, which I used to love lever. I still do. But Greenhouse is great too. But someone cold reached out to me and was like, hey, I just started a job. I come from Greenhouse. We use lever. Help me. And I was like, okay, let's do it. And that's how I would wrap it up. Your question is like, I feel like a big chunk of missing information and messy ATS systems is because people don't know how to use them correctly. And I've seen that time and time again with either heads of talent or the founders of companies who set these up. And then as they scale, they hand it off to a recruiter or even recruiters as you build a team. We assume so much about people and we miss out on that enablement piece. And I, I, we're seeing companies hiring for like recruiting operations or recruiting programs. But it's so important because really teaching your teams how to use something is valuable, right? And I see it with other things like people not knowing how to use Slack correctly or people not knowing how to use Office 365 or what other tool But it's like your ATS is a tool people need to know how to use. So I would say that's number one. Second, I would say often whoever's setting up the ATS sets it up and then it just sits there. And a lot of times people just continuing to let it work as it is. And it's like, no, you should really between new team members or if you do hit maybe a higher headcount number, like you really should re-look at your system and make sure it is set up to scale because it would save you time now than later on. I think another thing a lot of clients will reach out to me for is like, our reporting's a mess? And it's like, okay, well, it's probably because you have roles open that you've never closed or I've applied to jobs and I never hear a rejection. And it's like, that's a lot of companies don't do that. And you really need to like clean your data and maintain it. And I think that's a big thing with the enablement piece, right? Hey, recruiter, this is how we open a role. This is how we close a role. These are like the SLAs around it. So it's a bigger piece, right? Whose responsibility is this to to set up these rules? It depends on the company size. I would say like if it's early and you maybe have a head of talent, it's that person and it would be better to build it out earlier. And then once you do start hiring a team under you, then it will just kind of naturally fall in place, right? I think the biggest thing that I've seen for companies are one, the user permissions piece. It's like when you first start out, you're letting everyone and their brother into your ATS system with like full permissions. And it's like, no, you really should maybe build out structure, what your founders get, what your hiring managers get, what interviewers get, what recruiters get, like start building out your permission level. I know Greenhouse and Lever do it a little different, but they all have user permission access levels. So I would say that's one thing that I've seen. Second is the stages, right? Or the pipeline stages. I know Greenhouse does it per job stages, and then Lever does it like overall hierarchy. But I would say make sure that's aligned early on and make sure it's aligned for scale, just because it can get messy and it can get messy quick. And I think it really does set a tone if you do set like a core hey, these are our stages and this is how each role can use them. 
is so crucial. And I think it also helps you focus on that candidate experience piece because studies show that like a candidate should not be spending more than like four hours in an interview process. So like getting that mindset and like really forcing managers and founders into that like stage mindset is helpful early on because then it starts to be replicable for other roles, right? Those are two areas I see a lot of people like not doing well on. And then third area is like archive reasons and rejections. I know Hire Suite, your whole thing is like re-engaging your ATS system and like rediscovering. And I think a core way of doing that is really having crisp and really awesome archive and rejection reasons early on in your system, because then you can start tracking these things, right? If you're an early age company and you're hiring one, say, account executive, it's like your first, and then you interview 10 people, maybe you find like three that are excellent and you want to re-engage with them maybe when you have a second role. Like being able to track that with archive reasons or rejection reasons is a really easy way to do it. And it's like you could set that up early on, right? So those are three areas I would say are really important. Mm. Do you have a list? So when you run these audits, do you come with a list of archive reasons? Like these should be the top 10 archive reasons that you can use? Yeah, I do. And I always like to, when I first meet with a company and they give me the login credentials. I usually go to like every page of their ATS. I go through their settings and I really build this report to say like, hey, this is what I saw gaps in or missing. With archive reasons, what I've seen, especially with Lever, building out like a archive chart or a rejection chart for your recruiters and really saying like, hey, this is when you could use these. This is the definition of what it means. Because again, we're assuming a lot. We assume people know what maybe silver medalist means. And do they? Like, So it's like simple things like that and really building it out into like a playbook for your team members will help you down the line because then it will help you with onboarding new team members, but also building out a wiki page in case like you leave one day and hand off the reins or something, right? So it goes back to that enablement. But to answer your question, yes, I have lots of documents and documentation for that kind of stuff. Yeah, our experience is, um, so Iris, when we connect to the ATS, we're ATS add-on to help do nurturing for people that don't know what we do for the context. What we see is that every time we connect, people have like hundreds of archive reasons. Some of them are identical almost identical, so a letter will change or it describes the same reality, but with a certain like small changes. And so one of the problems is that a person will set up archive reasons, then that person will leave and a new person will set up new archive reasons. And over time, that's just piles up and it gets worse and worse. How do you address this and what advice do you give to companies so that they don't go that route and they keep a list of very clear archive reasons? I've seen it both ways. I've worked with companies where I'm like setting up their ATS system, but then I've also worked with companies where it's already done and we're fixing things, right? So in the early stage where it's like I can make decisions for them, I just do it. And then I deliver like, hey, this is how you would use it and do trainings with their team, things like that. In the latter, I would say I make recommendations and then we often do 
a like switch on where we'll say like, hey, these are the changes. This is about to happen. And then I go in on the back end and adjust them. So then the team like has foresight into it and they're like, hey, they're not surprised when maybe their favorite archive reason's gone. So we found that to be successful just because, again, that enablement piece, the training, being very clear and really showing them like this is when you would use that. I hope that answered your question. It's almost like you were doing software, right? You do a pull request and then a push request and explain to everyone what's changed. That's probably a very good practice to use um, in any process, actually. Yeah. Well, people are, if you're used to doing the same thing, getting your favorite coffee from the coffee shop, and then one day it's closed, like that's change is scary, right? So I think that's the whole thing with consulting in general. It's like understanding your audience and then you're there to really be a peacekeeper and really keep things going and make people see that change is good. And that's another thing that I feel like I saw Hire Suite just release this recently where you're like sharing updates with your customers, right? I think that's a big thing that a lot of people get used to the same way of doing things. And we have to remember like Lever, Greenhouse, they're all SaaS or software as a service company. So you're paying that monthly fee and it pays for the service, but it's also paying to invest in the tool and make it better. And that's something that I've seen time and time again, where I'm able to come into organizations and say like, oh, there's something for this issue or, hey, there's a new feature with Greenhouse that automates this and it could save your team time. So really uncovering features that maybe they didn't know about or they're too busy to even learn about, right? And I think something's easy to do is just stay up to date with the tools you use and sign up for those newsletters, like go to their support page, ask their chat, or if you pay enough, you might get a customer success manager that will walk you through these things. But they're constantly investing and making the tool better. And I think that's something crucial to remember, right? Because I don't know. Greenhouse has a new functionality of automation and like progressing through stages and triggering emails. And like that saves time from recruiters who are often stretched thin and busy. So like knowing about that stuff's really important. All right. You mentioned a few errors that you see a lot of users do. So there is user permission, the stages, archive reasons. I have a few others as well in mind, but what other main mistakes or errors do you see people do when it comes to organizing the data in their ETS? I'm a big believer in recruiters really being the main ones moving candidates through the pipeline stages. People can disagree, but sometimes hiring managers will do it. And it just gives room for error with that candidate. I'm also through a mindset of candidate experience being so crucial. And I've seen companies like not forget about candidates, but forget about candidates. And it's like, no, you really need to make sure your pipelines are clean and crisp and people are moving through. And if you don't have a coordination team helping you with scheduling and things like that. So really setting clear expectations. And I believe that's an enablement piece of like, hey, manager, tag a note in a recruiter if you like a candidate or like, don't move someone forward, like really let the team do that. So I've seen that. Same with like opening jobs and closing jobs for reporting and just setting up processes around that kind of stuff because 
most tools you can hire multiple people against the same role. But like, should you? Is it making your reporting better? Like, think through these examples. Same with like approval processes. Like, there's ways where in greenhouse where you can build out like offer letters or even approvals before a job can even be posted. And sometimes that's good if you want hindsight into maybe a recruiter that is new or making sure that they're building out everything to like the expectations of like the same stage names. And because greenhouse especially is pretty sensitive or case sensitive. So like for a greenhouse, I think using templated jobs and just continuing to use those is so crucial because being that the stage names are case sensitive, then it does affect that reporting on the back end, right? So just thinking through some of these things where it sounds pretty basic, but it is kind of crucial. And then trying to get the tool to work for you. I've seen lots of companies maybe not do their offer letters through their ATS system. And it's kind of like, why wouldn't you? Like, there's that functionality in Lever and Greenhouse and other tools where you can do that, you can set approvals. So maybe HR, heads of finance, or whoever needs to approve the offers can, but then you're creating that crisp, clean candidate experience. Everything's tracked. Like, So really just trying to get buy-in from leadership early about that kind of stuff, just so you're using the full functionalities. Same with something like as basic as your job postings and like having your intro and exit, like you can template those so that your team member isn't having to copy and paste it every time. And it just saves you room for error, right? And saves time. So things like that, that are just like, functionalities that you should build out. And if it's not built out already, like go in the back end and start building it out again, just to make it work better for you. What's your advice? So um, you mentioned this before, when there's jobs, there are jobs that are evergreen. So you always need to hire those uh, on those roles. Should people close them at every hire? Should they keep them open? What's the best way to do this from your experience? I don't know. I was talking to a client who was using Greenhouse for this and they constantly hire for a single role, but then they have two recruiters recruiting for it. And it was an interesting use case. And it was like, we created one master rec that always stays open. And then we created two, we called them child recs or whatever it might be, but it was one for one recruiter, one for the other. So but they weren't public facing, so they didn't have a job post. So recruiters would almost go into that master rec or parent rec and source from it and then move people into the child recs. So that was kind of a use case we figured out for them. But I think everyone Greenhouse has where you can do opening IDs. And so you can hire multiple agents. I believe Lever has a similar functionality. So I'm not opposed to that. But I'm also, I really like where opening a role and closing it, like I'm used to that mindset. But I can see where it works both ways for different companies, right? So that's another thing. Like there are these nuances of what works for one doesn't work for the other. But then there are other areas where it's like most companies should do this, right? So that's the beauty of any SaaS product, I feel. With an asterisk to that, like 
it could affect reporting. And I think that's one area that I'm really excited about as I see like new companies like Talent Wall. And I think Gem has a new, it's called Talent Compass, where people are starting to invest in the data side or the reporting side. Because Greenhouse and Lever really, their reporting's not great, right? And companies look for that. A lot of leaders want to see that. And if you can't say it's great, or if it's not working for you, it might take more time for heads of talent to like manipulate the data in a way that makes sense, right? So it excites me to see all these new SaaS companies that are really investing in the stuff like that. All right. So you mentioned that our summer is where everybody should do like this, like best practices everybody should follow. Some areas where it depends on the company, on the roles. Can you share more of the best practices that everybody should apply no matter what? Like, are there areas where you say this is the one best way to do this? You should follow this guideline. I think a big thing I've seen time and time again where I'm like, figure it out early is the greenhouse or lever like stages or pipeline stages and really building out either templates or really crisping those out, but also making them general enough where they do fit roles for all current roles, but also think ahead to all future roles, right? So an example would be like a software engineer. Okay, well, you might have a skills assessment or an assessment there, right? So you might need an assessment across the board, but that could also go into maybe an account executive because maybe you want them to do a presentation or a mock call or an assessment, right? So just thinking a few steps ahead to build out something that's really scalable, because that will affect reporting, right? And really getting in the mindset and getting your teams in the mindset of that is crucial early on. I would also say we mentioned at the beginning, like user permissions, it's easier to figure that out now than coming to, hey, Robin, I know you're the founder of this, but we're going to take away your access level, right? Well, you, Robin might not respond to that correctly, right? Or you, you might have to like reel it in. So it's like maybe building out policies around that and start adjusting people's user permissions is crucial early. And then it allows for any new hires, you know what permission they need for the tool, right? I think email templates are a big opportunity and something people usually often forget about, right? It's like, oh, it's working. Like, our generic messaging's working. And especially with candidate experience and competitive markets, like, you really should customize and build out your email templates to tell a unique story and really showcase you as an individual, but also your organization, right? This is what we offer. Check out this blog check out us in the New York Times or whatever, make it relevant. Or if you just closed a fundraising round, like add that and don't add it to every email, like make your campaigns like tell a story, right? So in the first email after they apply, maybe link out to this is our whole application process. And like, this is what you can expect next in a blog post. And then once you reach out for that initial phone screen, this is the hiring manager for the role. Like, here's their LinkedIn profile. Like, check up on what their team's doing through this blog post. Or, like, really think through and really make your email templates work for you. And think ahead, right? I've implemented this, we called it a pre-offer email in the past, but it's a basic email that's 
built out that you would trigger to a candidate when you know they're about to get an offer. But it thinks through every question they would ask about benefits and perks and really gets them excited about the role. And it's like something like that's so valuable because you know they're going to ask for it. And switching careers is stressful at times, right? If you have children and if you have a health plan that covers certain things, like you need to know if your company will do that. And it's like you thinking ahead and like preparing this early goes a long way in their eyes. And it can be an email template, right? So just thinking through that kind of stuff as well. Same with scorecards, feedback forms. I think we often will set them up quickly and then never revisit them. But I think they're really crucial, especially if you start standardizing or building out like structured interviewing and hiring where you can really make those work for your teams and hiring managers and start to like review those to really help for scale. So just a few areas that... I've seen companies like mess up on and there are ways you can easily adjust. So one key element that I understand from everything you're saying is uh, standardization. Just make sure that everything is standardized. Just make sure that everything is aligned, tells one story. So you just don't change one message or you can change one message, but you want to make sure that you don't disrupt the entire story. That's one. And the second thing is, this is almost like a habit to build almost like spring cleaning and getting that mindset of always cleaning uh, your ATS, making sure that everything is up to... How often do you believe people should do this? Is that every month, every year, every six months? What's a good frequency to do this? Yeah, I think every quarter could be valuable. And what I've seen companies do, and I had a client that I was working with, and they like assigned... The head of talent had reached out to me, brought me on board, and then I worked with a recruiter the whole time and it was so cool because the recruiter was very eager to learn more. Like they wanted to know more about greenhouse and the ins and outs. So I was able to like train them, but I very much see this recruiter now maybe like working and recruiting ops on the side. And it's kind of cool to like empower your team and really finding those superpowers within because I don't know if a recruiting ops role is right as a full-time hire for every company, right? But getting in that mindset of like training people up and then that mindset of maybe every quarter having them invest time into the recruiting operations and cleaning up the system and figuring out any newness that they should train the team on, right? Is really a good use of recruiters times. And I don't know when this episode's going to be released, but like right now we're seeing so many recruiters hit the markets and layoffs and it's like, Oh, like, could you maybe keep some of those and they can do some of this maintenance work? Because at some point, we're going to pick up hiring again, right? And you'll need this type of stuff. So just a mindset that I think people should get into. Yeah, absolutely. And one final question to conclude that episode in the conversation. Do you think there are some things that people expect from their ATS that they will never get? Lots of people want, so we'll see a lot of people, especially on Lever, that's also the case in Greenhouse, they try to build their talent pool in the ATS, end up maintaining a super complex uh, label systems that they all do manually. Obviously, our take and our bet is that uh, the ATS is not the right place to do this. It should be done in the recording CRM. Would you agree with me on this? And where else do you think that people, whatever the time that they spend on the ATS, 
they can run as many audits as they want. They just won't get this from their ATS. I think you hit a nail on where it's like an ATS. A lot of times these ATS companies are only focused on like this piece of the hiring journey. And then they're like starting to see competition in other pieces. So they add it and it's like maybe half-assed or like not the best. So they need to bring on HireSuite or Gem or another tool, right? So I think we're going to continue to see that just because I think until someone maybe builds a tool from scratch that really does end-to-end, but I don't know given... I'm curious to see some of these new companies like Ashby, and I think that's how you say it, like what they do, because I don't know, given the markets and like how recruiting seems to be so easily disposable in times of downturn, it's like, do investors invest a lot into ATS systems? I don't know. So it's interesting, but I would say, yeah, there's definitely missing gaps. And I joke all the time with my recruiter friends, like, oh, if it could do this, right? And it's like, same with like, I'm surprised Greenhouse and Lever, like Lever has easy book links, but it's not super advanced. So then there's tools like GoodTime or even Calendly that work better often. And it's like, why wouldn't you want to just offer that, right? So I don't know. And that's a whole nother topic, the integrations piece, right? <laughs> that we didn't touch on. Make sure your integrations are set up correctly. <laughs> yeah. True. All right. Thanks a lot for sharing that uh, recipe and those best practices that you've seen along those uh, consulting missions. So thanks a lot, Austin. And um, where can we follow you on LinkedIn? What's a good place to reach out to you? Yeah, I am on LinkedIn. Check out Ask Ozzy, the podcast. We're going to have Robin on one of these days as well. But I'm an open book. Like, Feel free to reach out if you need anything and definitely excited to continue the journey. Cool. Thanks, Austin. Thank you. Hey there, this is Robert. Most of our listeners come from word of mouth. So thanks a lot for your support. And if you enjoy the players, please keep on sharing it with your team and friends. Stay tuned for the next episode. And if you can't wait, follow me on LinkedIn for more content on recruiting. Talk to you next week.